Hey guys, just want to take a minute for our sponsor, J4 Flower Horns. If you are sitting in front of your aquarium wondering why you're no longer enjoying it, well, number one, you may not see them, so clean the glass, but two, you know, bring a piece of the extreme to your tank. Have some fun. Go to j4flowerhorns.com. He not only has amazing award-winning flower horns you can get nowhere else, but also extreme fish like Bashirs, Platinum Bashirs, Albino Arowana. He even has blue eye, bristlenose placos, King Kong Parrot Cichlids. What do you guys want? Go there. Go now. Find yourself some extreme for your tank and get 10% off while doing it. Go to j4flowerhorns.com and use promo code AquariumGuys at checkout for 10% off your entire order. Also, to celebrate J4 and Flowerhorn sponsoring the show, uh, we put out a little love. Go to our merch store. You'll see it in the show notes. It's the Aquarium Guys merch line. And we have added a new line of merch saying, I love cock. Now, cock, K-O-K, is the ball on the front of a flower horn. So certainly check out the silly new merch line. Love for you to uh, pick some up. It certainly helps the show. And, uh, you know, certainly at mention J4 Flowerhorn on social media. Uh, just to let him know that you love cock uh guys keep the stories coming in we want to do a user submitted story time for story time four certainly send those in you can send them to the aquarium guys podcast website at the bottom of the page you will find our contact method you can email it to us you could send it a text message you know whatever is most comfortable for you hell you could even send us a audio recording of you telling the story but send those in and let's kick that podcast Jimmy, I did it. What did you do, Robs? I bought a 1952 Ford truck, and all I can think about is putting a tarp in the back and turning it into a koi pond decoration in my yard. You should, and it would absolutely be really cool. But unfortunately, I think it would probably die from all the rust. Just uh, iron poisoning? Yes. I'm your host, Robs Olson. I'm Jim Colby. And I'm Adam Elnishar. So, ladies and gentlemen, today... How do I put this? I put a lot of work into trying to find guests. Jimmy, Adam, they, they both help when they can. But Jimmy and Adam have a ton of work to do. Adam, how many hours do you put in a week? On a good week, 70-ish. All right, Jimmy, you're what, 80? 80, 85. 85, right? That's a week. So a lot of the scheduling is left to me when I have free time. But now I even I have a very busy job as I've transitioned to a new IT job. So we're deciding to take some rounds and Adam decided to reach out to some guests and Adam, you got a big one this, this oh, week. I will let you introduce your guest, sir. Okay. So this is, well, why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, no, 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 you gotta, you can't go that way. Bob Likens was kind enough to come from P Jack to join us on the podcast. Bob, thank you so much for coming. Oh, hey, it's great to be here. I, uh, I appreciate the, the invite. Now, before we get too much into things, because normally we, we answer a few questions at the beginning of the podcast, but what is PJAC for those that are listening? Well, the long version for starters is the Pet Industry Joint Advisory Council. We are 
really the uh, not only the biggest, but the only trade association for the entirety of the pet trade. There, there are several other associations within the pet trade that focus on, on specific areas, but we are focused on the entirety of the trade. And what we do is the regulatory and legislative side of things. So we, we do the government affairs work for the pet trade. Everybody from manufacturers and distributors to live animal collectors and breeders and all the way across the, the entire gamut. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have officially brought a pet lobbyist onto the podcast. Jimmy, that's the mark off of our notch right there. We are, we, our totem pole got better. It did. And, you know, just last week, I got a, a nice email from our friends at Secrets Farm saying, I'm asking all my customers to please go to pjack.org, check them out, see what they're doing for industry, consider becoming a member. And I thought that was pretty cool. Absolutely. And, and I do have to let people know because we're going to get fan mail on this. We have not received a single dollar from PJAC to be on the podcast. <laughs> well, that's good because I don't have any to give right See, now. See, there we go. So uh, he's on off our on our own accord reaching out and uh, Bob was kind enough to come back uh, to come on the show with us. And I just can't wait to, to grill him. So <laughs> Bob. Wow. Bob Adam has been huffing and puffing over uh, the stuff that's been happening a, a, a lot of different places. Uh, there's all that horrible shit where they're trying to get rid of the entire aquarium trade in New York. We have no, no, the entire pet trade in New York. Yeah, so the entire pet trade in New York. We have all the horrible shit that continues to grow in uh, Florida. We're trying to be reactionary to Arapaima getting released, and now they're talking about uh, you know shutting down fish farms in Florida all the way to the pinnacle of the horrible shit that's happening in Hawaii. So I don't think there's been a better time to have you on the podcast. Oh, it's, it's great to be here. And uh, as, as I've said often, of all the things I worry about, running out of work is not one of them. That That is definitely not it. So before we dive in and just pick on Bob the entire time, uh, Jimmy, do you have anything that happened to you this week? No, not really. I, 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 uh, I brought in some, uh, some shrimp in the other day and I lost them all. When I mean I lost them, I mean they're not on my tank, they're not on the floor, they're not behind my matten filter. So I lost my I lost 150 amano shrimp. So what you're saying is Chris Angel <laughs> went in your house something like, here is no shrimp. They were just made them disappear. They were there one evening, the next morning I was gonna go bag them and they're all gone. And and uh, amano shrimp, you know, they'll crawl around a little bit more than a regular shrimp. And so I thought, well, maybe they crawled out the back, hit the floor, and I cannot find them anywhere. They no bodies, no nothing. So I'm just totally. At and you a loss. have no cats, and your dogs can't reach behind the rack. No, no. So I don't know what happened to them. I'm and, I'm did convinced. Did you net them out and eat them, Rob? Well, there, there's. I'm convinced. There's a hit put out on your shrimp <laughs> as a happened. message, as a warning of having Bob on the podcast. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Well, I, I actually, I got to ask, uh, freshwater shrimp? Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, I was just wondering, because I, I did have a saltwater tank where when I was breaking it down, it turned out there was a 10-inch bristle worm living in my uh, substrate. Ooh. This guy knows what's up. Yeah, no, uh, I, I brought in 150 amano shrimp. I was going to put them in my plant tanks because I wholesale plants and got a lot of string algae from my too intense lighting. And I thought, well, I'm, I'll put them in this tank and let them settle for a few days, and then I'll take and put them through my plant tanks. And they re- disappeared. I, I thought for sure they crawled behind my matten filter and couldn't find a damn one. So I don't have a clue. 
I mean, I'm hoping I put them in a, a wrong tank somewhere, a different tank, but I've gone through all my tanks. I've only got like 40 tanks and I can't find the darn things. You know, I've done a lot of pranks to you over the years. Yeah. That would have been a good one. <laughs> that would have been a great one. Yeah. Quick, quick tangent before we get in the deep dive, right? For those that don't know, Jimmy and I have been friends now for, oh, sh- about what? The better part of uh, eight, nine years? Yep. I went to my family's gravesite, uh, like we do every other year. And, oh, don't uh, tell me they're missing, too. They seem to be there. Okay. I haven't checked with a metal detector, but I'm assuming <laughs> there's a hip underneath the ground somewhere. So we take the flowers away, and we replace them with fresh. And, you know, there's like ornate little white crosses, wooden crosses with like flowers on them and whatnot. And when we get there, there's like pieces of plastic flower. And then all you see is this like picket white cross with like paint chips coming off of it. Cause it's weathered over the last year or two. And we just throw them in the back of my, my car. We drive back home and my wife decides, Hey, rather than throwing those away, how would we just stick them in Jimmy's front yard? So that's exactly what we did. Not knowing Jimmy was just about to go on vacation I was on vacation. I got a panic phone call from my son going, who did you piss off? My son's 30 years old. He goes, they came over to, they're staying at our house to watch our dogs. And we were at the state fair down in Minneapolis. And he comes home and there's three white crosses, which are about two and a half, three feet high on our front lawn. Yeah, they're just little dudes. Yeah. Yeah, they're a pretty good size. (laughs) I mean, it's not like a nine-foot one that you'd light yeah. on fire for a ceremony down south. And so, yeah, it took us a long time to uh, figure out what happened and stuff. But I thought, do I have the clan here? <laughs> if I'm, I didn't even think about it. We were just putting junk in your yeah. in your lawn. But so yeah, you know. that, that was a lot. Of, that was a lot of fun that we, we we played practical jokes on each other. I'm just and what, what kind hap- of upset I didn't do it on Halloween. And what happened to you after you did that to me? Uh, I mean, did you find some balloons in your bedroom? Balloons. With glitter, baby powder, and what else in it? Arsenic, for all I know. Yeah. So when Rob went on vacation, I filled his bedroom full of balloons. I put baby powder and glitter in there, and he thought it'd be a good idea just to pop the balloons. And it looked like he had a couple of strippers in there for well, I had a laser. doing cocaine. I had that laser that uh, we had on yep. the podcast burning, uh, what was that, Aptasia? Yep. And I decided to pop the balloons with it. That was a terrible idea. Yeah. Lots of baby powder and glitter. I think I still find glitter in my bedroom. Yeah. So the moral of the story is uh, prank your friends. Sorry for the tiny, tiny tangent. Adam, I know that you had news prepped, but we're going to do news next week. But do you have any other personal news? Adam died, okay. ladies and gentlemen. No. No. Okay. What you got Adam's for news? got nothing. Let's start this out then. All right. Yeah. Let's kick it. <clears throat> Bob, I have so many questions for you, and I, I know that you're here to talk about a couple different subjects, but we always ask every guest... What got them into the fish hobby? Now, I know you have fish, but what got you into this this pet lobbyist organization? Kind of a long story. I mean, I've had fish since I was, I think I had my first tank when I was in fourth grade, and I've had them most of my life since. But I spent the last 25 years or so in the Army. So being doing government affairs for the pet industry was, was a long way from my last career. But it just happened that my last job was a congressional liaison for the Army. And I was working in the Pentagon and working up on Capitol Hill. And it just set me up. They sent me back to school to teach me uh, government affairs. And it, it just set me up to, to work in government affairs. And I always say that, you know, an Army retirement check isn't enough to retire on, but it's enough to be a little choosy about where you work. 
And when PJAC, I saw PJAC's ad for a government affairs guy, I jumped on it because it was, you know, it was in my wheelhouse. I've, I've always been a fish guy. I've always had dogs. I mean, right now I'm on a horse farm. I got two horses, three cats, two dogs, and one fish tank. And my daughter's got a frog. So this was just, this was a good fit for me. And it's, it's something that it's easy for me to defend and speak well about because I, I don't have to strain my credibility to do it because I'm, I'm a believer that companion animals are a great thing for people to have. So that's what's gotten you you in is you said last dawn of duty was being a liaison. So what was say like your your first job because show us here from your bio that you are the the VP of P, uh, P, Jack is that correct? I yeah I'm the government affairs VP. I I was actually hired about five and a half years ago as the government affairs director, and it just the the organization was a great fit for me, and I I love the the businesses and the trade and the hobbyists that we represent. So it's it's worked out well for me and I, I I'm hoping it's worked out well for PJAC and for the trade as well. But I love doing this and uh, I I have no aspirations to do anything else. So I, I just want before because we're we're here to pick on a the subject of Hawaii specifically because we have a there's so much happening there. But if I could get like a briefing on the, the State of the Union <laughs> of how pets are looking. Four score, seven um, years ago. I'm assuming that you categorize pets into uh, different categories uh, by what they are. Is it cats and dogs, horse trade, the aquarium trade? What, what all um, pet, pet uh, relations do you cover? Uh, yes, although my wife would disagree with you. We don't consider horses pets. Those are livestock. So PJAC does not handle horses. But you're exactly right. We, we handle canine issues, cat issues. We have small animals. We have herps, you know, your snakes and your lizards and your frogs. We have avian, and those are our focuses. And then we also actually have a separate subcommittee that handles zoonotic disease issues as well. And we work regularly with the CDC on that. Oh, that's another one we could go into is how we got all of our cool exotics taken away because some idiot in Wisconsin let monkeypox go. Oh, is that what happened? Oh. And this is yeah. why I brought a two by four so we could knock Adam off the ledge. Right. Keep we, him back because Adam, gets, he gets fired up. Yes. We have to give Adam some, cool uh, stuff. some Alka-Seltzer, <laughs> you know, calm the stomach down. Yeah. And Adam knows I'm a Wisconsin native. Oh, are you? I'm sorry. I'm still sorry to hear that. I didn't say you. I said there was an idiot in Wisconsin. Yeah. Maybe one of your family members, Adam? Is that what you're no. saying? No. Okay. No, no, no. What was, They put the African crested porcupines next to... Next to what? Prairie, prairie dogs. Next to prairie dogs. Because back in the day, you used to be able to buy everything without needing a USDA for everything. So you could get literally African crested porcupines in pet stores, and they would sell for like 500 bucks. All right. But... Before we go over, yeah, you I'll know, because just... I, I would like just a briefing on on us, uh, you know, the state of a couple of different industries and what you know Bob thinks is most at risk. But I know Adam has a ton of just random questions. This is your opportunity, Adam. Give him no, some no. weird shit. No, no, no. I I want to hear what he thinks of the state because I just found out that they were trying to pass. They added a new bill saying zoonotics an amendment to the Lacey Act or something to prevent exotics due to COVID or something? Well, we're, we're seeing that not only at the federal level, but even at the state level in some states this year. When the government reacted initially to COVID, 
they were really focused on addressing COVID. Since then, it's been an, uh, just an, a target of opportunity where everybody is now trying to find a way to attach their, their agenda and put COVID in there somewhere so they can get their agenda advanced. And, and that's what we're seeing with, with the Lacey Act move. If you're speaking about Marco Rubio's bill, Senator Rubio's bill, it is more focused on invasives than it is on zoonotic disease. And there's actually a, um, a really good bill, the 2021 Future Pandemics Act, that really does a good job of addressing the, the real risks of, of bringing a zoonotic disease in without creating a bunch of secondary effects that would crush the pet trade, uh, and for that matter, the seafood trade. We've done a lot of work with the sponsors and, and with senators and congressmen to, to advance. So we actually recommend people look at that and look at supporting it because it's a great bill. But you're right. Last year, because of COVID, everybody took a step back and we didn't see that many bills. And, you know, the state legislatures and the federal legislature were really do only doing the things that were really important. And this year, it feels like they're trying to make up for lost time. We've seen a huge increase in the number of bills that address all kinds of things in the pet trade. And, you know, we've got the, the best researcher in the world working for PJAC because we look at probably 2,000 bills a year at the state and local level, as well as federal, that in some way touch the pet trade. And, you know, we need to sort through those and find out which ones are really important and address them. We're seeing a lot of bills this year trying to close down pet stores that sell dogs, that sell puppies. And we're seeing a lot of bills that address zoonotic disease without really understanding what zoonotic disease is and how it works and, and what the realities of it are. So it's, uh, it's been a busy year. And it's only March. <laughs> well, this is always the craziest time for us because a lot of state legislatures aren't open all year. They'll, uh, they'll, you know, they'll close in the next couple, three months. So they're trying to get everything moved now. You know, this is, this is the time of year when we're drinking from the firehouse. So what are some of the most outrageous issues that you see happening as, as of this year? Really, it's been volume more than craziness. We, we are seeing a lot of local bills on pet stores that sell puppies We've been pretty successful in dealing with those issues at the state level where the legislature, you know, can call in the state veterinarian and the Department of Agriculture and so forth and, and make an informed decision. So instead, we're seeing that activists will go to localities, go to towns, counties that don't have pet stores, get it on the agenda and get a ban to selling puppies passed when nobody even knows about it until after it's happened. So uh, that has been uh, the, the, the biggest challenge this year. Um, but we are seeing more and more zoonotic disease bills. And the, the challenge, especially, you know, when you're dealing with, uh, with herps, with exotic pets or with fish, is people don't understand that whenever you've got two living things, there is a risk of a zoonotic disease. I mean, that's just reality. And what you have to look at is how high is the risk of catching it, as well as how dangerous is it? And does that disease already exist in this country so it doesn't do us any good to ban it? I mean, 
the the most common zoonotic disease is salmonella. But, you know, you wouldn't ban imports because of salmonella because it's everywhere. You know, I've had some experience with salmonella and uh, you have a better chance of getting salmonella poisoning from the chicken juice from your chicken package at the grocery store than you do from a lizard. And just to be able to take precautions to wash your hands and that after you've handled a lizard or, or whatever it may have been that carries salmonella, you know, that's part of the reason that you can't get baby turtles anymore because of the salmonella because young children are putting these turtles in their mouth, but yet you still can buy raw chicken at the, at the grocery store and, and there's more reported cases of salmonella poisoning there than there are from reptiles. Yeah. We, we've talked about the baby turtle thing being banned by the USDA and for the listeners to, to remind them, the USDA requires that if you're going to sell a turtle, it has to be four inches and over. If it's under four inches, the USDA deems that it's too great of a risk for the public to have in their possession, and you're not allowed to sell a under two-inch turtle. But you still can lick a toad. So for, for Bob's right. sake, Jimmy, you wholesale, you used to wholesale turtles mm-hmm. to different pet stores. And what was your take on getting hit by the USDA? USDA, not a happy bunch of people. But um, <laughs> we were down in the state of Florida, and they were every pet store in Florida was selling small turtles. And we talked to them down there, and they said, yeah, you can sell these small turtles if you have people sign the waiver and saying it's for educational purposes only. And so we came back to Minnesota. We sold a few turtles. Somebody turned one of the pet stores in. They contacted me because I had supplied them, and she told me, you can't be selling them. I says, well, people are signing off on the waivers, and it's for educational purposes only. She goes, yeah, we know that that's the loophole, and now that we've told you, the loophole's closed. And so she goes, you need to take all these turtles and destroy them. And I said, okay. And she goes, you need to put a full-page ad out in the paper where you've sold these turtles, and they need to be brought back and, and destroyed. And so I typed up what I was going to put in the newspaper and I sent it to, to them and they said, no, you can't put this in there. I go, what do you mean? She goes, the part about we're going to destroy the turtles because people are going to go crazy if you put that in there. I said, well, that's what you're going to do. And that's the truth. Right. And so they finally backed off and said, just quit selling them. And so that was a lot of fun. They dropped the case. They didn't want the bad PR of them forcing uh, turtles being killed. And uh, that was that. That was that. That was no more turtle dealing. No more turtle dealing. So, I will. I will put my my straight up lobbyist hat on though and say that you know uh, we we work very hard representing the responsible pet trade, and we are we are big believers that if there is a law that doesn't make sense, we need to be out working to try and change it rather than working the loopholes. Yeah. Exactly, but yeah, no, no waivers, Jimmy. No waivers, no waivers. But you know, the whole state of Florida, you can go to any pet store at that time and buy them. But Florida's and crazy. They have, We're yeah, sensible. And they have Minnesota. tightened up the language on those waivers over time as well. Right, and and you can go on after this podcast, and you can buy a turtle off the internet from anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's there's people that are out there selling the small map turtles for two inches. The moral of the story is you're very bitter. I'm and, still uh, I'm still a little mad because I didn't want to kill any turtles. And you didn't get your turtle is the most important part. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, Bob, back to the subject at hand. I appreciate you giving a, a little bit, you know, state of the union there on just seeing the the mass amount uh, coming uh, through. Again, this podcast is uh, being recorded uh, March 22nd, so that gives you an idea that he's that busy towards even the uh, second half of March. So 
good on you for doing the due diligence and uh, the Lord's work on keeping our pet hobbies and uh, intact, sir. But for the listeners, because again, we have advanced hobbyists, intermediate and beginners. For the listeners that have never heard anything, what exactly is happening in Hawaii right now? Uh, it's kept me busy for several years. If, if you guys have the patience for the long version, back in 2016-2017, uh, a group of activists sued the state and said that the use of fine mesh nets in the aquarium collection permits was illegal because the state was not doing an environmental protection. Uh, it was not in compliance with the state's Environmental Protection Act. So the activists lost their case against the state at every level until it got to the state Supreme Court, where they won. So it got kicked back down, and the lower court got told, all right, figure this out. So they came back, and they said, okay, they can't fish with a fine mesh net anymore because that's what the permit's for. So that resulted in most of the fisheries on the big island of Hawaii being closed, the aquarium fisheries. And it also resulted in the other island where a lot of fishing is done, which is Oahu, having to use methods to collect aquarium fish other than fine mesh nets. So when that happened in 2017, we started working with the fishers in Hawaii to do the environmental assessments that were required under the Hawaii Environmental Protection Act. We've been beating our head against that process for about four years now. We, had, we did an environmental assessment for the state, which was then rejected. So then we decided, okay, we'll break it up and we'll do a separate environmental impact statement for each island because the two islands are very different. Big Island is where most of the yellow tangs come from. And Oahu is where most of the other fish, such as flame wrasses and things like that, come from. So we broke it up. We did two separate uh, environmental impact statements. We finished the one for Big Island and submitted it. It was rejected last year. And now we are in the process of finishing using the input we got from the state in refusing and rejecting those documents to advise us on the content of our of our documents going forward. We are probably within the next few weeks going to be submitting the, the final environmental impact statement for uh, Oahu. And we are in the process of redoing the final impact uh, or the final, final environmental impact statement on Island of Hawaii. And that right now has been submitted to the state and is open for public comment, our draft version of that. So we're taking public comments on the Hawaii document. We're finished with the, we have already taken public comment. We're finished with the Oahu document. And this is, uh, this has been three and a half, four years, hundreds of thousands of dollars that, you know, neither we nor the fishers have to spare at a time like this. Um, and based on the most recent court decision, which said that for some reason, Aquarium fishing commercial fishing licenses are different than food fishing commercial fishing licenses, and now those are invalid too. So no, now all aquarium fishers are out of the water in Hawaii. There is no legal collection going on in Hawaii at this point. And and you keep saying the fine mesh netting uh, is that what's the problem there? I guess I'm kind of confused. The whole thing started because 
Aquarium fish collecting was like any other fish collecting in Hawaii. If you had a commercial marine license, it was legal to do. But there was a second permit required if you were going to use a fine mesh net to collect aquarium fish. And that's what uh, the activists sued the state over originally. So that's why the fine mesh nets were banned from being used. Now, in my honest opinion, wouldn't a fine mesh net, wouldn't that be what you want to use on a... On an aquarium fish? Especially something delicate? Yeah, for something delicate. Yeah, you're exactly right. What they did was they banned the use of the, the, the most efficient tool that is also the safest for the animals. You know, they, they allowed larger nets where the fish can get hurt. They allowed uh, other methods, but they got rid of the most effective and safe tool. So, but that was, you know, that was what the activists wanted. They, they are not after managing a sustainable fishery. They are after shutting down the fishery. And that was, that was their avenue to do so. And by activists, you mean the wonderful people from PETA and Humane Society, right? Yeah, who exactly was on the opposite side of the coin? Was it just them or? Oh, no, no, no. There's another guy. <laughs> no, it's the it's um you're you're right. The uh the big groups are are funneling a lot of money into this fight. But there is an organization in the state called For the Fishes that has been very active. There is a guy who has been this was just the latest in several attempts to shut down the uh the aquarium collectors because he runs a dive group, he runs a dive tour shop, and he saw them as competition. I believe he's referred to as Snorkel Bob. I thought that it was because they went and somebody went in his area when he was trying to do a dive or something, and then he got mad. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a big ocean, people. Let's let's all share and enjoy this uh, wonderful thing that we have out there. Snorkel Bob probably works for Schmelta. Oh, <laughs> Snorkel Bob. <laughs> no, no. See, you guys are all wrong. What happened was the aquarium uh, collectors were down there and they were nude, and uh, Snorkel Bob didn't appreciate that. <laughs> You know, I, I just I just don't get why why you can't you know, what do you want how do you catch these fish now? Use your imagination and take a photo? No, they're they're thinking that they're gonna use submersible drones and it's just gonna be clamped by uh by some, some magical nerd technology. Which was a long ways away. So exactly, again, it impacts not only the aquarium collectors, it probably impacts, again, you, you said for sure the fishers. What does this involve coral? I'm assuming coral of all kinds across the, the gamut was also affected by this, correct? Well, coral hasn't been collected. Le- coral has not been legal to collect in Hawaii in like 20 years. So that, that was never an issue. Coral collection doesn't happen in Hawaii. It was just a matter of the aquarium fish. And you're right. It, it, it hurts the trade. It hurts the hobby. It hurts the small businesses. But it also crushes the, the hopes of being able to, to captive breed. You know, there have been a lot of advances made, but it's been a big struggle to try and advance captive breeding of yellow tanks. But now they're not even going to be able to get the genetic stock. So it, it really is a, uh, a problem. And, it, and you can't just say, well, well, we'll captive breed instead of live wild caught because it just doesn't work that way. So let's, let's take a little walk down Remembrance Trail for the aquarium hobby. Memory lane? Yeah, memory lane. If uh, We have had this issue in the past with freshwater fish. So let's pick on the zebra placo, for instance. The zebra placo, a gorgeous specimen, is only found in one river. 
And to prevent that river from being overfished, because again, it's one of the most eye-catching placos in the freshwater hobby, they decided to put a ban on importing the, the fish. That fish was really not readily available for years uh, in the hobby. There was no, it was just a complete shut off and stop. That fish was able to be bred, but that fish had problems. It can only carry around six pups at a, at a batch. It's very sensitive and uh, requires soft water. But at least in that scenario, we were able to reproduce it in captivity in small numbers. And there were only so many in the United States at the time. So if you had a pair of zebra placos, you're sitting on a gold mine. Even these right now, zebra placos are going for, what, $180, $200 a, a small fish on wholesale lists? It's a crazy price even this many years after the fact. And that's a fish that we knew we could readily breed. In saltwater, that is not the case. You mentioned yellow tangs. How long has it been since we could actually breed yellow tangs in captivity? Five years? Four years? And that it's not real high success rate. The As a matter of fact, last year's magnet show was the first time they ever had second generation captive bred. So yeah, it, uh, and, and the number of eggs and the, and the whole process required is incredibly labor intensive. It's nowhere near being commercially viable. I can't say that. It's not commercially viable yet, as, as particularly as a sole source. It will definitely be able to supplement wild caught. But it is, it's not ready to be a replacement for wild caught. What they do with these fish, and again, I'm not speaking for saltwater. Let's just go to the fresh world again. That's my expertise. You see these different fish that can only be caught in captivity because they don't understand how to reproduce them. So for years, they could only catch Siamese algae eaters. They could not figure out a way to reliably reproduce at all in captivity. So they used hormones to induce them into breeding. They are, we talked with the Florida, excuse me, the FTA, oh my gosh, he's going to kill me. Help me out, Adam. The Florida Co-op? Yeah, the Florida Fish Co-op. Yeah, the Florida Fish Co-op of uh, farmers, they uh, spend a collective on research for different fish to add to the hobby so they can be farmed out of uh, their captive environments and they're just now getting to freshwater species such as like the uh, freshwater dolphin and and other species but again that's just for the first time being done in captivity this takes time and they're doing it to help species that are in uh, in risk in the wild, because there's quite a few. The zebra placo was certainly one of them. But as far as like different species in Hawaii, blanketing everything doesn't make sense. They're not just banning a single species because maybe that species is under risk. They're banning everything because they want to, regardless of population, sustainability, or anything else. And, you know, showing the different ecological uh, benefits of harvesting, like even in the uh, Amazon, we've had Scott from uh, Project Paiba. Piaba. Project Piaba. Piaba. Damn it. I'm going to get that one too uh, on <laughs> and showing that uh, sustainable catching the fish in the wild, the sustainability of that, especially with the rain cycles, that showing those fish would have died anyway due to the deprivation of flooding and ponds drying up in the forest, that it's 100% sustainable. So neural research, it seems like, is taking place on which species they should select and just doing a blanket one based upon some silly notion of a fine mesh net 
Oh, you're, you're exactly right. As a matter of fact, the, the one benefit we've had in doing these environmental impact statements is Hawaii is probably the best managed fishery in the world as far as nearshore marine fisheries go. And there is a ton of scientific data on it. So basically what they're saying is they're shutting down the best managed and most robustly studied fishery in the world just because. And when you, I mean, using your example of freshwater, the hobbyists have taken the lead on a lot of these environmental issues. You know, you look at the, look at the African cichlids. I mean, there are, there are a ton of African cichlids that would be extinct if it weren't for the hobbyists. You know, they put Nile in, in the lakes and, and all the cichlids got eaten. And those, those species wouldn't exist anymore if it weren't for the hobbyists breeding. And, you know, when you talk about coral propagation and being able to culture coral, hobbyists led the charge on that, too. Back in the day, scientists, you know, the educated ones used to say that that couldn't be done. It was the hobbyists that changed everybody's mind on that. And, you know, keeping these species out of people's tank is keeping those, is limiting the number of people that can try and do things that add to the sustainability of these different species. And in so a, this is just like a loophole that the activists have found. Right. But I can't have a damn turtle. You can't have a turtle. <laughs> Still, shut your mouth about the turtle. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, Jimmy. Yeah. What? Turtles breed from their butts. No, I, but I, we're not I, talking I about, about that again. That. <laughs> but no, for, for, for those who are listening, again, that's from, from the freshwater standpoint. Saltwater has so many more challenges when it comes to breeding, again, yellow tang have been staples in the hobby since the beginning of saltwater, saltwater tank preparation. But I'm trying to find a better word for that. Since the, preparation age. Since the beginning of the common saltwater aquarium trade. But we it just now, we're, we're getting a second generation. And for saltwater species, that's way more prevalent that we just don't have the knowledge, the expertise, or unlock the secrets because we haven't paid enough research into a lot of these different species as of yet. And it takes time and there's no plan of sustainability. So another point I want to point out on this that just kind of hurts my brain. A lot of stuff hurts your brain. This this whole thing, I didn't know it was just the fine mesh net. So this is like eye-opening. I understand why everybody's so damn pissed. You have federally banned species for the sake of protecting the habitats um, like the Asian arowana. Completely in the United States, you are not allowed to have it. Federal agents may come to your home. If you're trying to find one in the black market, it's the same people that smuggle cocaine into the country that bring Asian arowana in. You can read the book Behind the Dragon Glass to get the idea of how expensive the trade and all the, the, the terrible pieces behind it. But that was done for a purpose. They banned Asian arowana because an Asian arowana on the market, if it was, say, an open market like Canada, goes for around $2,000 for a single fish. Take where they are in their natural habitat and say uh, $2,000 American is more than it would make in about a year or two years of income for the average person. So all you have to do is catch one fish in a river and you're making more than two years of in your income. That would easily destroy a habitat. And it's become some sort of like black market trade on fish. So now take species that are exclusive to Hawaii that should have been and are sustainable and they're blanket banned now. We have now made a really high end trade of susceptibility for fish. 
it, it just hurts my mind that there wasn't even a purpose for that. You see the purpose for something like an Asian arowana that they're trying to protect habitat. There's no reason for the majority of species in Hawaii that were sustainably taken that now we're going to turn these once a few dollar fish into hundreds, if not thousands over time dollar fish if we don't uh, have some way to get those collectors back in the waters. Yeah, you're exactly right. In fact, the current version of the Island of Hawaii's EIS actually cuts down. Hawaii has always had a whitelist of 40 fish you can collect at aquarium. The most recent version, the newest version of that document now, it cuts it to eight species that would be collected on the island of Hawaii. And every one of those species is one that has either a stable or a growing population. So there is, you know, while it has always been sustainable and collection rates have always been much lower than would threaten populations, now they will only be collecting species that are either stable or growing populations and still collecting very small percentages of those species. How did this work for education places? Let's pretend I'm a zoo or National Geographic and I'm trying to find an endangered species to somehow you know, document and protect the species or trying to breed them in a zoo. Like, how does that work? Are, are zoos banned from this as well? Well, it, it wouldn't matter who's going to get the fish if it can't be collected. It is, it, it banned for the aquarium trade, it, it, for aquarium use. So you can, you can go out and fish them with a spear all you like. You can, you can collect all of the, all of the Achilles tang you want with a spear gun. But you better not keep one alive and put it in the fish tank. Wait, what? I didn't. I feel like I, my brain just <laughs> didn't click on that one. You can you can kill them and eat them, but you can't put them in a fish tank. So wait, I'm trying right. to like put- the, the only species that are under pressure in Hawaii are the ones that are the only aquarium species that are under pressure in Hawaii are the species that are also taken as food fish. I'm trying to put myself in the spot of taking this ideal and putting it where I live. I live in Minnesota in the land of 10,000 lakes, and we are blessed with more you know, shoreline than uh, most uh, tropical regions can offer. Ours is very different, but I'm trying to imagine that there's a law that says we can't collect the fish. In Minnesota, we have a lot of restrictions, but we do have collection rates where we have, you know, live bear, uh, not live bear, live well laws. We do have collection rates for kids to take home a sunfish from the lake and keep it in an aquarium and raise it, raise it throughout. I mean, there, there are r- sustainable ways that the DNR have made things to propagate into a tank. But I'm trying to like rationalize my brain that a law says I can spear a sunfish. That's something like close to me. Flate need it, but heaven forbid, <laughs> I collect it live. It's just utterly mind-boggling. Oh, and to to put it in terms of when I lived in Milwaukee, that would be like saying even invasives can't be collected. So it would be like saying you can go out to Lake Michigan, but you can't collect alewife, even though they're just going to die and wash up on the beach anyway. The mental disconnect is is just so obvious. But you know, this is a is is a matter of philosophy and and. You know, when, when you're dealing with folks who believe that fish don't belong in glass prisons, then there, there really is very little way to come to common ground and find workable solutions. So, so oh, go ahead, Adam. 
so even the Bangai Cardinals that are technically introduced in Hawaii, you can't take them out of there either? Correct. I mean, the Bangai Cardinals are an interesting fish anyway. They probably are under pressure in their native range, but the people that collect Bangai Cardinals have transplanted them and put them in a whole bunch of other places. So they're threatened in their natural habitat, but they're invasive in 10 other places. I was going to say, aren't they considered invasive in Hawaii? I'm not aware of the Bangai Cardinal being a real problem in Hawaii. Maybe it is. That's not something I've gotten involved with. I will tell you, the, the working with CITES and oh. the Bangai Cardinal, the, the issue that they were running into is when they banned them from, from the aquarium trade, from aquarium collection, you know, this is a slow-moving, shallow-water fish. What do the locals do? They collect them and they use them for bait to fish for food fish. <laughs> That's not funny. My brain. My um, brain, it hurts. Oh, it's just. All right. So. Cites is a whole other order. Let, let's pretend Th- just for a that's minute. That's just amazing, though, that you can do that, that they do that. Right. Let's pretend for a minute that I am an Aquarius in Hawaii, that I have my own tank. I have not harvested anything. And I just so happen to have yellow tanks. I've purchased them. I have them in my tank. Now the law's out. I'm at risk of having yellow tanks in Hawaii. Am I not? Or is there some like gray area where they put in the bill somewhere? No, I well, no, it's not. It, although there have been bills to make selling aquarium fish illegal, that has been tried in Hawaii on a couple of occasions, and they have now also banned not only commercial collection but even collection of somebody who wants to go out and catch something and put it in their own tank. But it is not illegal to have them. You can have it. You just you, can't you just, legally catch it. You you have to have already had it or find a way to magic it into your tank. <laughs> well, that's what sounds like some black market shit to me. Well, that's what's happening in Florida right now. Is that you know they're saying that they they, they took those what fifteen or sixteen items reptiles in, in Florida, saying that they're going to be banned now. But you can get a free permit to keep your iguana if you have an iguana now. But once that iguana dies, you can't replace it. Are you shitting me? No. That's, in Florida? In Florida right now, yeah. iguanas, tegus, what else, Adam? There's quite a few items. Burmese, pythons, uh, rock pythons, anacondas. Yep, Nile monitors and stuff. Yeah. They, so if you have one in Florida now, they've they've backpedaled a little bit, and you're able to keep your pet now, for, and you have to get a permit from your city or the, or the state, and it's free, but once that, that, that pet has perished, then... You can't get another one. So we do have a question from one of the users. Underneath that uh, Florida act is uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot's Anaconda song band. Is that? Yes. <laughs> Bob has no comment. So uh... <laughs> I'm, I'm staying way out of that. <laughs> My Anaconda. No, 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 My no, 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 no. <laughs> now I'm even further out of it. It, it's a rap song about nonsense. You don't want to know about it, Bob. Oh, I'll send it to you after. Don't <laughs> no. worry, Bob. It's a. I, I, I look forward to it. It's no. a classic. No, it's not a classic. It is uh, not a Bing Crosby will, white Christmas song. I will make song. it my ringtone. Yeah, <laughs> make it your ringtone. Yeah, absolutely. And then, when <laughs> and then when you're in church on Sunday and your phone goes off, you'll get a lot of cute little looks from the... You'll get some winks. That's, yeah, that's right. I don't know where to go from this. I'm just... Uh, you totally drove that <laughs> one into the ditch. If I was going to play... You know, how do we say, retarded Yahtzee, 
and just trying <laughs> you, to. You can't use that word anymore. I, it's our podcast, man. So if I was to do that, just roll the dice and try to guess what silly shit could be come up, uh, come up with. This would not been it. I mean, you're saying that they cannot be collected, but then if someone collects it and they just so magically happen to have it. I mean, technically, you could have had it before, and we have no way to prove it. There's just a whole ton of gray area because they just did a thoughtless blanket ban. But now that the USDA has told you not to have those turtles. Right. <laughs> it's over. It's it's long gone. So, so, Bob, where do you guys get your funding from? That's what, you know, because, I mean, you talk about these activists, and they get all their, they have, seem like they got money falling out of the sky on them. For it, Do we need to put up a donation link immediately? For, for PJAC? Oh, please. God, yes. Yes. We are a, uh, we're a 501c6. We're a, um, we're a membership organization. So our money comes from our members paying our, paying their dues. So, you know, I, I, I guess to, to make my pitch, please join PJAC. Please, if you're a hobbyist, the stores you shop in to get your fish supplies, to get your, your different products, Ask them if they're PJAC members and encourage them to be PJAC members. We also, uh, one of the things that's unique about our aquatic committee is it is the only committee in PJAC that is able to raise and spend its own funds. And that is what has been, along with the fishers themselves, supporting all of our efforts in Hawaii. So that has been donations from, from across the trade and across the hobby. Several of the members of PJAC have been very generous in, in supporting this effort, but we desperately need the help. And if you go to uh, go to our website, pjac.org, and please contribute to the Aquatic Fund because there is a lot of work to do. Hawaii is not the only work we do. We've funded two rounds of research into trying to develop a test to detect the illegal use of cyanide in, in aquarium fish collecting. So Hawaii is not the only thing we're spending money on, but it is it is the black hole into which I throw money. I mean, the cyanide treatments, we've we've heard a lot of stuff. I mean, for years, a lot of saltwater collection has been the process is they spread cyanide. The fish come up and they scoop the fish. It just makes it easier access to collect fish. And it's a terrible way of doing it. And they've now... I can't say recently. It's been going on for a little while. One of the more hard-hit fish is rope fish. Generally, farmers for years have been breeding them in low-cost, low-budget areas in other countries, and they use cyanide treatments to kick the rope fish up out of farmed ponds, something that they could easily take a fine mesh net (laughs) and uh, dredge to get all the rope fish out. But instead of wasting the time, they just spread cyanide in, and collect the rope fish. That's why for a long time, rope fish were very hard to keep after importing from different areas. And a lot of pet stores stopped bringing them in as of knowledge of doing that. There were inflammation of gills, bleeding out, all kinds of horrible stuff that were happening to rope fish in those, uh, those collections for uh, use of cyanide. Is there any other uh, things that you guys have seen that you guys are, are fighting against? Those are the, well, there's a, there are a lot of things that we're fighting against. You know, Minnesota had, a couple of years ago, had passed a law, a whitelist law for invasive species that said you couldn't bring aquarium fish into the state unless they were on the whitelist. And, you know, they just left it at that and left it to the State Department of Natural Resources to figure it out. Luckily, 
they did the responsible thing and they reached out and said, hey, uh, can you send us a list of fish that are in the aquarium trade so we can evaluate them for our whitelist? And the aquarium trade sent them a list of about 3,500 different species. And they took a step back and said, you know, maybe a blacklist makes more sense. The state agencies supported that and the, uh, the sponsor of the original bill supported it. And that change got made, you know, because the big challenge with a whitelist is just to be clear, a whitelist says you can't bring a fish in unless it's on this list. A blacklist says you can't, can't bring the fish in if it's on this list. Unfortunately, Maine has a whitelist. And the problem is once these things get written, they never get reviewed. You know, the species that are on Maine's whitelist are from the mid 70s. And the aquarium trade and the aquarium hobby have changed a ton since the 70s. Yeah, besides the, the federal list, Minnesota now only has, I think, like 22, 23 species that have been banned. I mean, federally, there that's across the nation that there's other regulations and whatnot. But the, the list that we have now, I'm actually kind of pretty uh, pretty proud of. You know, stuff like Eurasian carp that are coming up from uh, Mississippi that are, you know, taking over the waters. Even the, you know, we like, we always make fun of the, you know, we call them the, the, the peen fish the dojo loach, but there's a reason it's banned in Minnesota is because it just excels in, in our climate and even taking over some lakes in Michigan. So we, I think, feel like we have a very reasonable ban list in Minnesota, and it just hurts my brain that it was completely reversed. 3,500 different species. I'm going to remember that one. Yep. I am very thankful for all the companies that, that import and breed and wholesale the fish for putting together such a comprehensive list of what was in the trade. because. As you said, Minnesota's handled it very well, and that's why things like Senator Rubio's bill are so concerning, because that bill would basically ban crush, well, yeah, and it'd crush interstate commerce. And if there is a threat, then the state needs to look at its environment, its climate, and determine that there is a threat, which, you know, let's face it, Florida has a lot of species that could be invasive, but... Yes, it makes sense, maybe, to ban lionfish in Florida. It doesn't make a lot of sense to ban lionfish, lionfish in Minnesota. There, there is not much risk it's going to be invasive. You know, we, we were talking a little bit earlier, too, about how, how you guys go to bat for the dogs and the cats and, and, and the other different animals. But I'm just reading here really quick, and I'm, I'm just going to throw this out because Adam used to own a pet store. I'm a wholesaler. And I'm addicted. Yeah, you are something else. So wow. th th this is something that was sent to me, sent to me, and it says here's here's an issue. So um, the issue HB one seven one one bans the regulated retail sale of purebred puppies and kittens by retail pet stores in Illinois, in favor of only allowing those stores to offer dogs and cats from shelters and rescue facilities in Illinois. It's despite the fact that the retail pet stores in in the state already are sourcing their purebred dogs and cats from USDA-regulated breeders that are required to meet the standards set forth in Illinois' state. And, and so what they're, they're doing is they're, they're forcing these pet stores to start getting rid of the animals in the shelters. And, and here's the deal, from what I've understood, is so your local shelter would bring in these dogs and cats into the pet store, and the pet store would be forced to sell them and then give them back the money. And so they're basically doing a service for free, from what I understood. It's, it's actually even worse than that. The, and, and you're right. Not only are those breeders uh, USDA regulated, they're actually licensed. They're Class A licensed breeders. 
uh, and, that and, are inspected by the USDA. And that's not easy to get, uh, by the way. No, it's not. They uh, crawl up your Wahoo <laughs> when they come inspect yeah, your dogs. I'm serious. And, I got a friend that, that's USDA, and he tells horror stories about stuff. One of the biggest frustrations in that whole fight has been the USDA's unwillingness to defend its own reputation. They get slandered a lot, and they don't push back, and it's frustrating. But the the bigger problem with these uh, with these what we call a rescue model bill is that first of all it assumes that the shelters and rescues are even willing to work with the pet stores which generally they are not and won't provide animals second of all the shelters and rescues don't have enough animals they have to particularly in the northern states and and more than anywhere else in the northeast they have to import dogs for the shelters and rescues they bring dogs in from the South. They bring dogs in internationally to meet the demand. The shelters and rescues cannot meet the demand for, for dogs. And third of all, if you've got a pet store and you've spent all this money setting up your pet store, all of your animal holding areas are designed for puppies. The only animals that are, the only dogs that are in shelters are pit bulls. So now you're going to take adult pit bulls and try and put them put a dog that size into a facility that was designed for an eight-week-old puppy. So it means that not only could they not profit from the bill, they would have to completely remodel and revamp their stores in order to do it. And then on top of it, I mean, the liability, when you are selling large dogs with unknown, you know, I mean, people come back and say, I got hip dysplasia, you know, and in, in the state of Minnesota, you have to re- take care of that so for one year guarantee. One year guarantee and stuff, and which uh, that's another uh, so complete I mean, pile of BS that you get a warranty on your dog. Yeah. You could abuse it; something else could happen. You could malnourish your dog, but it's the pet store's responsibility to warranty the dog. Yeah, and, and here's the other thing too: is that I mean, God bless the shelters. I really believe there's a, a good place for these shelters, and they do a great job. Yeah, but, they, but let's let's face it, though. I mean, you go into our local big box store, and they're selling one-eyed, six-year-old tomcats for two hundred dollars. No, no, it's more. Just in our a local one, I will leave names out of this. We don't. We're not here to badger individuals no. here. There's great humane societies across the United States. We have one in our local area. I had a friend just purchase a cat from there. Again, it was one of those issues yeah, it, where it's a one-eyed. He, he didn't purchase six, it. It was an adoption fee. No, no, yeah, it's an adoption fee. I think he paid over seven hundred dollars for that uh, individual cat for a farm cat. And they said they would give him back a small amount of money if he got it neutered or spayed within a 90-day period. So, I mean, there's that. So, technically, we could say it was, what, fairly... 699 600 right. bucks for, for, for a farm cat. And, and here's the thing is, is that some of these particulars, they beat up the veterinarian staffs around the area. And the vets are doing all the vet shots and stuff for basically little or nothing. And... They spayed or neuter these uh, animals normally before you get them. But, you know, if you're really out there to help the pet, why not just put a adoption fee of a nice 100 bucks? because you probably don't have much more into it than that. But- I mean, there's a bunch of them that are nonprofit. You know, 501c3, there, there's nonprofit agencies. But there's also, do your homework. If there's private humane societies next to you, a lot of them are for profit. And if they don't have that, you know, 501c3, you said your 501... C6. We're C six. We're a we're a membership organization, right? But you're absolutely right. You know there are there are lots of rescues and and a ton of shelters and humane societies 
doing fantastic work. Absolutely. Uh, Do your homework. And, but so, yeah, support your local humane society. Humane Society of the United States does not have any association other than the, a lot of the same words in their name. They don't have any relationship with your local humane society. So support your local humane society. It's actually working with and for animals that need their help. And stay away from PETA. We've had a bunch of people approach us uh, since we've had the podcast, asking us to be on the podcast, particularly the people that like to start up what we call fish rescues. We've had Ohio Fish Rescue on multiple times in the podcast. I've been on their live stream countless times, and they do a fantastic job. It is the large, uh, as anybody can uh, equate for, the largest fish rescue, definitely in North America, if not the world. They have 100,000 gallons over that in their house rescuing massive fish that were not intended to be purchased by skilled pet owners. There is a place for different types of humane societies, but we have a big scam that people come up to us and say, hey, I'm opening the so-and-so state, the so-and-so county, the so-and-so town fish rescue, and they're not registered as a nonprofit. They're taking fish just to, for the purpose of reselling and pocketing the money. They're not doing the sake for the health and good of the creature. And we have a lot of issues with individuals asking, inquiring, hey, we'd love to be in your podcast. Hey, love for your support. And there's a lot of scams going around. We've even seen a, a couple um, small-time ones that people were, quote-unquote, rescuing fish to uh, display at their Airbnb seasonally and then throw out and kill or sell. If they, could, if they couldn't sell them, they'd kill them. I mean, they'd call themselves rescue companies. So do your homework. Like you said, do local. If you know a guy close to you and they've done the due diligence, they're, they're filed as a nonprofit, you know, do your homework because there's so many different places scamming. Well, I mean, it's yeah. just it's just the point where you, you could buy a purebred, beautiful Persian cat, kitten, for three hundred dollars, and and it, it's you know USDA, and, and now I'm going to go get a farm cat, you know, which needs a loving home. Don't get me wrong, but but to spend three hundred dollars on a a farm cat that somebody gave, you know, to the Humane Society, I I had a few years ago. Somebody dumped off some kittens to me, which I didn't want. I was delivering at a pet store. I had my back of my, my minivan open up, and I was delivering a bunch of fish. This gal came into the pet store and said, I'd like you to take these kittens. And she goes, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I've got eight kittens already. I can't sell them. She goes, well, if I can't give them to you, I'm going to kill them. She goes, don't kill them, but I can't take them. And I got in my, my van. I left my open my the back of my van open because it was very, very hot that day. And I had all my fish in there and I got about 40 miles down the road and I started hearing cats meowing in the back. <laughs> I got a hundred miles North and I called my next door. I said, Hey, somebody just jumped some kittens off on me. Do you guys have a humane society there? And she goes, yes, we do. I said, can you give me the number? So I'm calling my cell phone as I'm driving. I said, I've got these six kittens. I explained to her what happened. She goes, yeah, you can drop them off. When I dropped them off, she asked me for a check for $300 because that was that I had to pay her $300 to take these six kittens. And so I just took these six kittens. I gave them away by the time I got home because I had seven, eight other pet stores to go to. But here, here is a humane society charging me $600 for trying to do the right thing. And to this day, it still makes me mad. You wouldn't believe how much stuff was dropped in front of my store overnight. Yes. You guys are the fire department. Bob, you were trying to say something before uh, on the prior comment. Oh, I don't remember. 
I'm so, not that bright. You got to bear with me. <laughs> we, we got a couple questions from the audience here. So going back to, let's see here. Man, the, the chat is going crazy. I got to go back through a, a lot of different pieces here. So if you guys want to join the debauchery and listen to these live, we try to do them on Monday nights at 7 p.m. Central Time. You can go to AquariumGuysPodcast.com. On the bottom of the website, you will see a link for Discord. That's actually where we're listening to this now and on our Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash AquariumGuys. Um, due to the fact of not having an editor, we are slow rolling the podcast, but we're still trying to at least do something on it every Monday nights. So come join us. One more moment. Hey, I, I will admit that I am afraid to try and look for the chat because I'm afraid if I get off of this page, I'll never find my way back to it. No worries. I will uh, read it for you and the class once I get there. <laughs> okay. What are the reasons they are giving for the rejected studies in Hawaii? There were, there were a series of things. I think what it really came down to was the land board and the Department of Natural, Land and Natural Resources wanted to ensure that they had more latitude to change the number of fish that could be collected or the species that could be collected if there was reason for it. The, the bottom line is our proposed solution, our preferred solution in Hawaii is the same as it is everywhere. We, we prefer what good sound science says ought to be done. I was naive enough to think that that was a non-controversial comment once upon a time. To follow the science. But, yeah, uh, exactly. And, and there is a ton of science on this, but this just became a, this has become a very politicized issue in Hawaii. And we are just trying to get back to a discussion about the science and what the science says, because that's pretty non-controversial. It's pretty, it's pretty cut and dry that the fishery is very, very sustainable. So we, we are not concerned that the science will result in the closing of the fishery. Uh, we don't believe the science says that at all. And we've never, you know, through all of the public comment periods we've gone through, even the people most opposed to the fishery have not been able to provide any science showing that the fishery is a problem. So they they just go after it on other grounds. And, you know, for them, this is a moral issue. They just don't philosophically believe that people should have fish tanks. Now, Bob, I have a, a, a kind of a weird question, but as a licensed collector, are you, I mean, can you only take so many yellow tang a day or a week or a season? How does that work? Well, before they well, were right banned. Now, yeah, you can take zero. Well, thanks. But... <laughs> <laughs> there, there is no aquarium collecting going on in Hawaii anymore, right. based on the most recent court decision. But there was not a limit on yellow tang collection. It was controlled by the market. And the yellow tang is a very prolific fish. A single yellow tang will lay a million eggs a year. And the aquarium fishery, I mean, you know the fish that go into an aquarium. They're collecting the juveniles. So, the, so there, there is no shortage of yellow tang. And but with some of the other species, there were bag limits, but not in the case of the yellow tang. And now, as this document goes forward, just to provide additional reassurance to the state and to concerned parties, the fishers are proposing bag limits on yellow tang along with all of the other species. Yeah, you know, I know when I would I would import them from like overseas also. They would have a, a limited quantity that I could order. I could only order five or ten, depending on the season or what they had and stuff. And, and that I totally get, you know. 
And so if they're trying to sustain this forever, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a problem that they're going to run out of yellow tangs tomorrow. Right. Yeah. The yellow, the yellow tang is a, is a very strong population. There is no risk of running out of yellow tangs, as you said. And add to that, Hawaii can be a challenging place to collect fish. The Big Island is, is very susceptible to weather that makes it impossible to go out in a boat and collect fish. So it's not like people are out there every day collecting. And at this point, there are only eight collectors trying to get their licenses on our document. So eight people are not going to collect that. I mean, even, even if they could be in the water at 50 feet deep, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they couldn't collect enough to impact this, the population of that fish. And what they're proposing is far, far short of that. What about like flame angelfish and some of the other rare Hawaiian fish? Was, were they, did they have, have limits or were they just kind of? It depended on the island they were being collected on. Most of the fish being collected on the island of Hawaii, off the island of Hawaii, were in a fishery management area. There's really very limited opportunity to dive for aquarium fish outside of that. But in Oahu, there were uh, less restrictions, and a wider variety of the species are collected in Oahu, where a larger number of the yellow tangs are collected off Hawaii. So it varied depending on, on where the fish were being collected. But in both cases, now, for both islands, the documents are recommending that the state put uh, bag limits in effect. The next question I have, I'm actually going to pick apart a question from one of the listeners. What other areas in the world are, are now being affected by either, you know, no collection rules or anything else? What's next in the horizon or already happening? Internationally, there's a lot of pressure not to collect coral, which has turned into a huge problem with places like Fiji and so forth and Indonesia because the rules are written so broadly that it affects mariculture. And Fiji had a huge, I mean, incredible amounts of coral were being propagated right off the beach and in essentially farming. And what they did in that case was ban the export. So you've now got this captive bred or maricultured coral that because you did it in the ocean, or even if you'd done it in tidal pools, can't be exported. So that has been a big problem internationally. I, I will say you mentioned Florida. We are, we are seeing some of the same activists and the same noises in Florida that we've been hearing for several years in Hawaii. I, um, I mean, Florida compared to Hawaii, I know I'm not going to have a very popular statement on this, but I feel like Hawaii is completely out of nowhere. There's not a lot of science behind it. For some reason, they picked arbitrary fine uh, nets as the target because it was a loophole. You know, Florida, on the other hand, has a long history of being a farm area. And for years, they, they weren't doing it in a proper manner. If you go into some areas in Florida, you look in ditches and you'll see angelfish, neon tetras, guppies, and you'll see a lot of places where in the past they haven't done a great job of keeping their farm species out of waterways. But I'm just so taken back by by Florida, you know, there, there's not, it's a very small territory. They're not fish farms. They're not releasing a ton of species. It's just strictly collecting local stuff. But yeah, even Florida, the, the, the extremes that are going uh, now in the opposite direction, going too far, 
in the rea- reaction of Snakehead, the Boas, now Arapaima going through, and just blanket banning, you think that Florida is also going to be locked down very quickly? I think there's going to be pressure for it. I mean, Florida, it's a challenge because, I mean, let's face it, public opinion and, and public knowledge about the idea of invasive species and things like that has changed a lot over the last 20, 30 years. And there are still negative impacts happening in Florida from things that were done decades. And, you know, anytime you're dealing with invasive species, it is much easier to deal with it before it becomes invasive than once it becomes invasive. So it it will continue to be a challenge, but there there has to also be an awareness that things are not being done in the way that they were when those problems were being created. And, you know, you, you can't wind back the clock, but you can certainly make sure that things like that don't happen in the future. And, you know, I, I say quite a bit that we're not an organization that opposes all legislation. It just has to be sound, science-based rule. And you can legislate and regulate in a way that does not have, you know, the, the secondary effect of putting everybody out of business. You, it's more work to do smart legislation and regulation, but it's worth the trouble. And, and, you know, this is something we should be able to do. We should be able to have a responsible trade and control invasive species and protect endangered species. They're not mutually exclusive. We should be able to do all those things. And we can if, if we can, if we have enough of a voice to convince legislators to put that effort in because there's a lot of work for them and there are a lot of demands on their time and, you know, a lot of people vying for their attention. Yeah. It seems like they try to push a lot of this stuff through very quickly, hoping that nobody notices. And, you know, just like when they just did all the COVID stuff that they just pushed through legislature and stuff, my pension was just saved. I'm a teamster. I work for a bread company and our pension has been so mishandled over the years and somehow they snuck it into this last legislature to save our pension. And so a lot of the stuff just, they throw too much stuff at everybody and uh, you just can't, you know, you got to have everybody's attention at one time and that's almost impossible. Yep. You talk about the COVID issue. The first round of COVID was about dealing with COVID and dealing with people that were in a desperate situation because so much of the economy shut down. This most recent round has been very much about taking care of pet projects. We had to work very hard to get Lacey Act language out of the COVID bill. The literally the last two pages of that bill were all about importing animals. And it had nothing to do with COVID or anything else. It had to do with expanding USDA and banning importation. And we had to work very hard to get that language out. And luckily, we were able to find some legislators that, that didn't believe a COVID relief package was the place to address invasive species issues. Well, speaking of reacting fast, one of the things that we've talked about in our recent Aquarium News is the moss balls. I don't, you probably heard about this incident. Moss balls. The zebra mussels? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Oh, they, yeah. they came from Ukraine. They're just distri- uh, distributed everywhere. 
Petco's, Pet Smarts, mom and pop shops, everybody were having issues. And we've seen in state after state, the DNR reactions are all over the place. Some don't care and said, make your own decisions. Others have completely walked into stores, wiped the shelf, or forced them to bleach the uh, balls in front of them. There's been different import regulations that DNRs are doing. And we, we've heard all kinds of craziness. What have you heard being in a completely different world than us? Well, actually, it's not, it's not all that different a world. When, when that news broke, I spent the next 36 hours emailing and telephoning our, our members that deal with this, large and small retailers, as well as wholesalers. Uh, we've got a uh, memorandum of understanding with USDA and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and we've been, we've been speaking with them because we wanted to publish guidance and put out, we had to put out an alert to our membership. And, and we focused on doing that as quickly as we could, but we didn't want to do it without having guidance in it. So we went back and forth with the retailers, with, the, with our scientific consultants, and with the government to try and work out a responsible way to handle these if you had them in your store, as well as to give them guidance to give to customers. And we continue to, and we got that out, but we continue to refine that, you know, as we, as we look at, well, you know, does copper work better than, than bleaching? Or can you just use salt? You know, can, can you do things short of wiping out the tank and, and having to, you know, set up a, an emergency tank long enough to get your tank cleaned. And so we continue to try and refine what we're telling folks on that. But we were very involved with that right from the jump as soon as we heard about it. What are you telling folks exactly? I, I We have in Minnesota here, we have a lot of experience with zebra mussels. And there's different strains of them, not necessarily of like uh, species, but our zebra mussels versus the ones that are probably supplied in the bucket probably have different adaptations. Ours go through Minnesota winters of, you know, 45 below zero and freezing temperatures underneath, you know, up to 24 inches of ice. They just burrow themselves deep in the mud. Right. So we, we have a very uh, resilient muscle. So what, what are the recommendations that you guys have published in a nutshell? Always get myself in trouble. Be a bridge, sir. Not having it in front of me. <laughs> in front of me. Essentially, it was take the if if you've got the if you're a store and you've got these in the cups. A lot of them were in the beta cups and things like that. Yeah. If you've got them separate, bleach them or boil them and throw them away. Don't don't flush them. Throw them away. If you've put them into tanks, separate out the fish. Make sure that you're you know doing your pH balance and and using you know, stress meds for the fish when you're doing it, but pull the fish out and clean it with a, um, uh, either treat the tank with, uh, 140 degree water or which we were originally concerned would be too hot for tanks would actually cause damage. Yeah. You're, uh, you're talking but, about some old tanks with some older seals or, you know, heaven forbid you're using a metaframe tank with that lead oxide. Which which is exactly why we reached out to our members that actually build tanks and said, hey, will this work? <laughs> right. Uh, and our recommendation was then either bleach or hot water treat the tank, separate out the water, make sure you're not putting the water down a storm drain or anything else like that, and then do the refill, do the 
probiotic type treatment as well as the stress treatment and get that tank reestablished. We continue to look at if it can be done with less draconian measures, but our initial recommendations really had to be something that we were sure would work. Because the worst thing we could do is put out recommendations and have them not be strong enough to be effective. And you can't be too careful on this either. We've had people that are in certain areas where they take care of garbage next to waterways. Not that the garbage leaches in, but let's pretend in a terrible scenario that you're playing the final destination version of your moss ball travel. You went to a store, you bought a container of moss balls, you had them in your tank, you realize, oh shit, they have a zebra mussel. You took them out and immediately didn't bleach them. Let's pretend that you didn't go through that process or boil them or whatever temperature you recommended. And certainly go to PJAC's website. I'm assuming you guys got this published for everyone to look at as well. We do. Wonderful. And you just disposed of it in a trash because, again, you don't want to flush it down a toilet. That's... <laughs> Don't don't put a don't put that in the waterway even in your uh, your sewer because it could propagate in your city sewer. We did not know that. That was a that was a big one. That uh, Minnesota has a couple spots where that's been a been a problem in the past from fishermen bringing them from lakes and invasive species. So, so zebra mussels are getting in people's sewer systems and clogging sewer systems because they're breeding in the sewer systems. They somehow found a way to make life happen in the midst of your shit. So you guys need to all go back to my system where I've got a septic tank in my back. Right. There you go. <laughs> That's right. So you put, you put it in the trash, the trash guy collected it. It's in now in a trash heap. Suddenly a bird grabs your zebra mussel, pecks it and drops it in a waterway, right? That you can't be too careful. Bleach them, sterilize those, the, uh, the, the balls themselves. If uh, you have any, any worry, there are good clean balls out there. Uh, they, they, you know, bleach your balls. That's the t-shirt that we're going to be putting. No, we're not very putting that t-shirt out at all. Bleach your balls. <laughs> Bob's face. I'm I, so sorry, Bob. We should have warned you. You you warned me. So I, I read they're, they're telling people to, to microwave their moss balls. And I'm thinking, boy, I bet you that smells really good. Have you ever, like, Jimmy, have you ever accidentally, like, baked a rock in the oven? You know, once upon a time, I, I collected some rock from the shore. I thought it was really pretty. And I thought I'm going to sterilize it in the... How did that go for you, buddy? It smelled like ass. Not just smell like <laughs> ass. Let's pretend that you got the unlucky rock and it was like a, a geode and there's a small air pocket in the And sense. they explode. That's even more it's, fun. It's like a M80 on steroids. It's going <laughs> to shatter your your oven thing. It was my mom's oven. I didn't... I was, right? thir- so- I was 13. I probably didn't care. <laughs> If you want to explode a zebra mussel in your microwave, by all means, but it's going to be a stinky, shitty mess. <laughs> I, I said bleach your balls, and now everybody's quiet, so I'd like to apologize uh, to listeners. Bob, this is a fine example why some animals eat their young right here in front of me. Rob's just goes off on tangents and just... Jimmy, will you quit calling me delicious? Yeah, you're not delicious here. So, Bob, some of the final notes here... What are some of the other things that you're seeing come up on the horizon? Because right now, again, this is definitely taking your attention, but there's got to be some other concerns, some other, you know, normally we ask, like, we have product people on the, on the podcast. We're like, oh, what's coming up next? Well, I don't want to be gloom and doom, but <laughs> what's coming up next, Bob? It can be really hard to say. These things tend to go in waves. You know, you, you had the uh, picture of the betta fish up, the, the social activism stuff. You never know when it's going to take hold. The The whole push to get pet stores to stop selling betta fish had nothing to do with sound science. Uh, there's actually 
some very good science out of University of Florida that tells us that betta fish do very well in these smaller tanks, and you definitely don't want fast-moving water. That's not the kind of fish they are. But, you know, it, it can be hard to be the facts guy in an emotional argument. So um, we, we will probably see more things like that. We do see the push occasionally for things like, you know, there, there will always be the, the folks that want to get rid of goldfish at the fair. You just need to, to look at all of this legislation first through the lens of does it make good sound scientific sense? And then, given every opportunity to do so, how will this be misinterpreted and used against us? You just, you just can't predict the future, especially with the erratic, crazy people. We always pick on people on fish forms because uh, the beta hobbyists are always the, the first ones. If it's not in a 135-gallon tank, it's not correct for a beta, is the joke going around. So, uh, I think it was India actually briefly passed some laws saying you had to have 5 or 10 gallons per fish and some other things. I think that got repealed pretty quickly. But uh, these these things do take hold. And if you're not watching closely, you turn around and there are a whole bunch of really silly rules out there. Well, we wouldn't be asking the questions if we didn't ask you some hard ones, Bob. So, so far we've talked about the state of Hawaii, which clearly is an easy subject to beat a dead horse on. I mean, it's it's crazy what they're doing. It doesn't make sense, honestly, however you try to cut it. But PJAC, we've talked about how it's protecting the rights of people to have pets, I, as an uh, American citizen, should have the right to have an ecosystem in a square container. That, that is a fundamental right that I'm happy to have. What do you uh, guys do in protections of, because before you talked about cyanide and protecting uh, fish, what do you do for different pet groups to protect and maintain you know, the well-being of pets? I don't, I don't think that you guys get enough credit for that because it just looks like you're a, a lobby group that just protects people's rights to have pets. You guys do, from your website, seem to do a bit more than that. Well, we, we try to. I mean, I, I, I would like to think we do. We, we work very hard on animal welfare issues. We, right now, are, are once again working very hard on, on a pause bill, a wounded warrior bill, that would get trained service animals to PTSD sufferers, military service-related injuries, which is obviously something very close to my heart. And then, uh, it, it, and you're right, the other side of that is is continuing to ensure that people have access to the pets they want. And that could be things like breed-specific bans and, you know, anybody from landlords to towns deciding that some breeds aren't acceptable, judging judging the the danger of a, of a breed that broadly. It could be places that have banned ownership of snakes or ownership of reptiles. That's actually something we see fairly common, commonly, not so much this year, but a lot of, of bans on owning snakes or owning constrictors or putting size limits on constrictors that just aren't scientifically based, putting everybody who's, who's selling purebred dogs out of business. So we, we try to work very hard on both sides, on, on ensuring the welfare of the animals and ensuring people have access to well-bred and, and responsibly collected uh, companion animals. Well, Adam, do you have any other questions for Bob? I know you've been itching, man. No, I'm good. You, he, you got him out? Yeah. No. Nothing? 
nothing right now. I, I would like to see if there is there a future bill for pet store owners that get stung by their own product to make sure that they're uh, they have access to insurance and <laughs> they go doctors. To the doctors. Just I want to say I want to yeah, back okay, that one. Well, I don't know if workman comp comp applies if you're the owner, right? Yeah, it doesn't. It just there's stupid. no one there to save Adam's life. <laughs> stupid I mean. is what stupid does. <laughs> it's not as bad as the blue ring. And I will caveat every word I have said tonight with, I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, over the weekend, I was watching one of these doctor, excuse me. You got that COVID in your throat there, bud? (laughs) Cough right in Rob's face. Hey, he does that every time I say bleach my balls. Bob, take me away. But (laughs) I was watching one of these veterinarian shows and they like doctor so-and-so's exotic, you know, ER and this guy comes in this weekend. I was watching this. He comes in with a two, two-toed sloth and an anteater as pets. And I'm going, where do people find these things? And and why isn't there legislative about that? I mean, do you really think a two-toed tree sloth is a good Now pet? you got the sloth people against us. How dare you, Jimmy? Yeah, well, you've offended everyone hey, else. Hey, Jim? Yes. I know a guy. I know. Oh. You know always- <laughs> but, I mean... When you see these things on TV, it kind of glorifies these great, I mean, people go, oh, I need one of those. You know, how come people don't ever just go, I need a goldfish? What did they say about the Tiger King thing? Like demand of tigers went up like a million percent after the Tiger King Well, uh, it's just like when, when Disney did, uh, well, not Disney, that movie company that did the Dory thing. Oh, Pixar. Pixar. That's, Wisney. That, that's, that's not actually true, though. That's it's urban legend. It it is widely believed that Nemo drove clownfish sale. It did not. The seasonally adjusted clownfish sales were the same. Were they really? It's yeah. yeah. It, it, because when they were getting ready to release Finding Dory, several of our bigger members were working directly with Pixar to do messaging on you know because while a clownfish is actually a pretty easy entryway into saltwater aquariums a blue hippo tang is not it's a more difficult fish and it needs a bigger tank so we had members that were actually working with pixar to message that this is great we hope it gets you into aquariums but dory probably is not your first best fish but the whole thing about nemo driving clownfish sales really is mostly myth the only thing i heard is that it actually drove prices up for a time uh, for a short period of time I, i'm just going to blame ellen DeGeneres for the whole thing personally. <laughs> and it's and and clownfish are actually one of the saltwater species that are easily captive bred yes it is we had uh, matt peterson just on the podcast a, a month or two ago and very successful clown breeder who've done a lot of designer clowns over the years so you guys want to hear something f- the uh, bad that's going to happen? Is this? Oh no! Get, wait, I don't want to. Have go we jail. had enough doom and gloom? I, no, no, no. Can't we so just you know giggle about bleach did, our balls and move on? No, no, no. You know the guys that did Tiger King? Oh God! Yes, they're making a movie documentary style of the reptile trade, and they have literally picked the biggest asshats that you can find in the reptile trade. Oh boy! Making- Bob's writing notes down right now. Yeah, uh, yes. Bob's literally <laughs> writing notes down right now. Prepared. Uh, apparently, they got the Venom Boys, and I think they got 
who the hell else? I just know they got supposedly the Venom Boys and a bunch of other people. Basically, they like to handle hots and giant snakes, and that's going to be the next one. And I'm just like, okay, so if you guys are in reptiles, buy whatever you want now before that comes out, because that's going to destroy the reptile trade even further than it already is. You literally yeah, made you made the Bob right notes. Sensationalism versus reality. I, I will tell you, you know, there, there are there are always going to be shows like that. But on the other hand, shows like I don't think they're making new shows anymore, so I can probably get away with promoting the guys that did tanked. You know, they did a lot to expand interest in having an aquarium and to to broaden what people thought of as an aquarium. So in a lot of ways, you know, there are times when those things really help. And there are times when, you know, you kind of wish they'd picked somebody else to represent it. Yeah. You know, I've gotten so much, so much flack on this program because I grew up, I'm the oldest of the bunch here. And I grew up watching the Barnum and Bailey Ringling Brothers Circus on, on a Friday night, yeah, once a can year. Can we talk about that? Because you've brought this up in the podcast. I'm bringing this up again. No, no. The, I don't need more shitty emails, right? Bleach I don't your care. balls I can I can take. No, no. But, but there again, like you said, you know, those guys got interest in tanks and fish, you know, and I understand that people don't want elephants in the circus, but you take the elephants out of the circus and now kids especially in urban areas, are never going to probably see anything like that. And it's hard to defend and love and and protect something that you've never seen. And, you know, so to have an elephant in, in a circus, I'm not saying that, that it's the right thing to do is put a tutu on an elephant and make it dance around. But people do that with their kids all the time, too. You know, I'm taking my kids to dance class, going to make them dance, and they don't want to go. But so taking away yellow tanks from, I'm just from saying, Hawaii I, is I'm not going to expose love, children anymore. I love elephants, and if you don't see an elephant, you're never going to love an elephant. You, next podcast, there's going to be a pound of peanuts on your side of this table. I'm going to talk about elephants the whole time. And look at that. Bob's making notes going, I'm not talking to these guys again. Block this number. Block that number. <laughs> I am Uh-oh. doing my best to keep lighting up in here since we have... Uh, there we go. Don't worry. You look pretty, Bob. So, Bob, do you have anything else uh, that you'd like to uh, talk to the audience about? I know that in the show notes, there will be the link to donate directly to PJAC if you guys want to do the Aquatics Fund or any other funds that they have listed on the website. Of course, we're going to have in the Aquarium Guys podcast the Aquatics Fund link, but certainly consider supporting them and becoming a member on their site. Bob, what, what do you got for us for last notes? I sure appreciate you guys' time. Please, I am I am happy to be back anytime you'll have me, and I appreciate the plug, and, and I would just ask all the hobbyists out there that are listening to encourage the stores that you do business with to join, because we work very hard to keep all of the stores that handle companion animals afloat, and, and we would appreciate their help in doing it. And the website, again, is pijac.org. Bob, thanks so much again for coming on. And we're going to have to have you back on. There's going to be some uh, you know, other heinous thing we got to get the inside scoop on. And I, I just think it's going to be way too soon, although we love having you on. We, we need definitely need a part two. So. Well, I appreciate it. I'd be happy to do it. And so, somehow I think there will always be something exploding that we have to deal with. I hope it's not a... 
snail in a See, microwave. We have an order, Bob. Next time you come on, you, we need some like great news. Like you got the entire country Brazil to go to a blacklist instead of whitelist. Like that's the news we need from you. Just as a happy note, that's a bad thing. I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll work on that, and you guys can work on funding it. All right. Until next time, guys. If you like what you hear, go to Aquarium Guys Podcast. Donate to PJAC. Otherwise, you know. Keep our lights on. Uh, give us a couple bucks. You know, support our sponsors and look out for that Bleacher Balls T-shirt. Uh, no, we'll throw out. You know what? We're, we're going to take our own pocket. Some odd percent of that is going to go to uh, replacing Moss Balls for either the audience or some pet stores. So it, we're going to figure out something. It, you know, you said you're going to do what a Bleacher Balls T-shirt, and I'm going to buy a T-shirt. And you know which one I'm going to get for you. The one that says fluke you. Well, if you if you look here, Jimmy. Go fluke yourself. Uh, Go fluke yourself. We have this wonderful list from last podcast that you missed uh, due to almost having COVID and didn't. I almost had COVID, but didn't. Right. So we have, you know, bleach your balls. <laughs> we got a picture of a angelfish saying I'm horny for heaters. We're not, we're not doing that one either. <laughs> I, I know a guy is supposed to be a, some That'd sort of t-shirt. And why can't I breed rocket babies? You forgot know. the salt. I, Bob. Oh, yeah. And then the salt one. Yeah, just a salt shaker. Bob, we, we've done 80, 85 episodes. I've only missed one, and this is crap that happens when I miss one. That's what happens. Well, I look forward to the link to the promises show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bob, thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. And, yes, uh, thank you very much. Until next time. Bye. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys, for listening to the podcast. Please go to your favorite place where podcasts are found, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever they can be found. Like, subscribe, and make sure you get push notifications directly to your phone so you don't miss great content like this. I never knew that a Minnesota accent could be so sexy until I heard Adam's voice. Go f*** yourself, don't you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's my boy, don't you know.